Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule. That's right, the new season. We're back. The football's back. And the ladies are back as well for the rest of the season. I'm Hayley McQueen alongside me for our first show of the new season. Oh, she's back on the road. It's Premier League. And now, WSL reporter Lindsay Hooper, my new colleague at Sky. Yes, I might see even more of you, Hayley, if that that was possible. (laughs) You sound delighted. Sorry, was my microphone up there? I know. I'm, I'm very happy for you. This is great news. And I was so hoping that when Sky were lining up their stellar cast of talent for the new women's season, that they would be bringing in experts. And thankfully, we've got Caroline Barker, host. Only kidding. Thankfully, we've got you, Lindsay Hooper. <laughs> keep it going. Keep it going. It's a long season yeah. ahead. I can get my own it back is. at any point. That's Mm. true. That's very true. So welcome. We'll chat to you about what you've been doing, where you've been soon. Oh, and making us all jealous, dialing in all the way from sunny Portugal. And I can confirm it's sunny because I left like a relay team. I left (laughs) Portugal just as broadcaster Mandy Henry entered Portugal. The problem is I'll only be going back for a holiday, whereas Mandy has now taken up residency. Hi, the best Mandy. summer transfer ever, is it not, Haley? <laughs> yes, there you go. I know. I had a loan spell. You've gone permanent. <laughs> <laughs> I have, yes. Relocating to Portugal in the middle of a pandemic, eh? Well, mm. challenging. But And we arrived in a 42 degree heatwave. I am not expecting sympathy, but my mm-hmm. goodness, that was hot. <laughs> and how is the new life? Well, we just started. We arrived on Friday um, and it's something we've planned for a long time. I think the last year's taught us all. As we know, we can do things remotely now. And we've got plans for an exciting business next year. Um, Still planning to do plenty of bits and bobs in sport as well. But I can confirm waking up to blue sky each day is very, very nice for the soul. Yeah, I wake up to a screaming baby. I'm not going to get back on again, am I? (laughs) No, screaming baby and grey skies. Oh, yeah, you've gosh. you've got Haley with the screaming baby. I literally live in my car. <laughs> so oh, yeah. there we go. Well, ladies, let's let's talk about football because not only has the Premier League returned with a bang, fans, fans are back. Obviously, we're back, but how cool was it to see full stadiums? And I had like goosebumps just I wasn't at any games over the weekend I was I was working and I had the little one I would would, well I flew back from holiday on Saturday and missed the whole of the opening weekend Um, but just watching the highlights and stuff and just hearing crowds roaring especially Mandy at Old Trafford um, a club that Manchester United we know very well having worked there together for a long time I just felt like that it just felt really special didn't it to have it all back how did you all feel about that? 
I thought it was amazing. A funny story, actually, you mentioned Old Trafford. I tweeted last week about how it was going to be jumping after, I think it was 17 months without capacity crowd at Old Trafford. And the first reply that I got was, yeah, it'll be jumping for about five minutes and then it'll be the prawn sandwich brigade where you can hear a pin drop. I thought, oh, great. Start the season on a positive note. Why don't we? But the noise, as you say, Hayley, was electric. I had goosebumps as well. Again, I was watching from over here in Portugal. And I just hope fans realise that the difference that they can make to their team after such a long time away because there's that age-old argument, isn't there? Is it the player's responsibility to get the fans up for the game or the other way around? But mm. players feed mm. off that atmosphere. And I think 34 mm. goals in 10 games proved that, didn't it? I don't know how long it will last, but for once, I, w- I was actually fine being sat in traffic, getting to the King Power. I-, I covered Leicester against Wolves. And I didn't mind being sat there for 15 minutes, not moving, thinking, this is it. The fans are back. I don't know how long that will last. <laughs> and when I walked in, of course, at the King Power as well, they have the clappers, don't they? Those, those bits of paper. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the owner there is so generous. I think he'd given everyone a free drink too. So it was such a lovely atmosphere walking in and fans just being raucous again and not being able to hear when I've got an earpiece in what anyone's saying to me. It, it just yeah. went back, mm-hmm. flashbacks to, to former years and better times. Yeah. And just briefly, I mean, I think we've all just about recovered from the Euros, Lindsay. Uh, Yeah, just about, I think. The the last... The last couple of matches in the fan zones, which is where I was predominantly, Mm. I was at Trafalgar Square. Wow. I mean, things turned. That semi-final win... Fans then just, and remember, we were still in the thick of of protocol for for Mm. lockdown and... The, there were people just climbing statues on top of buses in Trafalgar Square. I couldn't get home um, because there were no taxis picking anyone up. We all got a bit leer. Well, I say we all did. I mean, there's je- definitely a section of society that are fine, but there is a section of um, of the footballing world and footballing fans that, that just lose it and start drinking too early. And it ended up venturing into the the realms of of ruining it I think for for a lot of people and then I went to the final um back to Trafalgar Square for that and was just a bit cautious and it wasn't too bad but so many people broke into the top of the fan park zone where the National Gallery was there was there was just so many incidents that by the end I, I think I was emotionally exhausted and also exhausted by the fact that we hadn't quite done it. You know, we got to the final. It would have been brilliant for that playing staff to to have lifted the trophy. Um, but never mind. Well, my team didn't get quite as far as yours, Lindsay. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But Hayley, I loved watching Scotland at the Euros. I was back in Edinburgh before coming out to Portugal. We went back to spend some time with family and friends. And being in Scotland when we'd actually reached a tournament was fabulous. And yes, we didn't make it to the knockouts. Yes, we didn't have Billy Gilmore for the important games. But we've got a lot more Scots, as we all know, playing in the Premier League. And that can only be good going forward. But the most important thing was that Tartan Army were back in full force. And you know the score, <laughs> Hayley. No Scotland no party, even when we're rubbish on the pitch. <laughs> That's it. Okay, the new, who cares? We were there. Um, <laughs> right. Well, there's a hugely exciting season ahead in the men's and women's football. So, right, let's get stuck into our first show and our first topic. What did we learn from the opening weekend of Premier League action? This season, the world's biggest football podcast network is even bigger. Alongside our three weekly episodes of Totally and the two Totally Football League shows, we've got three episodes of the all-new Athletic Football Podcast with Mark Chapman. 
Adam Hurry's football cliches will now be with you on Mondays and Wednesdays. There'll be two lots of Michael Cox on our tactics podcast and we've revamped our FPL and women's football shows. Our Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea and Tottenham club podcasts are now twice a week. And don't forget, we've also got our TIFO, Offside Rule and Football Manager shows too. There are also amazing new series with both Kelly Cates and Jackie Oatley coming up later in the year, so stay tuned for those. You can listen to all of these podcasts across our network in all the usual places or ad-free on The Athletic app. The Athletic, the world's biggest football podcast network. Right, ladies, we had surprises, real statement performances and some spectacular goals. But what did we learn from that first round of games? Well, what we learned, and I, I don't know whether it was you, Mandy, or or Lindsay that, that touched on it. What we learned was that there were goals galore. And hopefully it's going to be a season where we are going to see goals flying in. The fences aren't quite what they were. And my goodness, Attacking threat of some of these teams was pretty spectacular. Just look at Manchester United with five, West Ham scoring four, and Chelsea, Everton, Watford and Liverpool all netting three as well. So 34 goals in 10 games. Only once in Premier League history, in actual fact, have there been more goals on an opening weekend. That was all the way back in 2003-04, and that was, that was 36. So I think I can predict that there's going to be a season lots of goals and that there are going to be some exciting goals. And as VAR was, well, it was pretty good this weekend gone, wasn't it? I was very impressed with not having to discuss um, all sorts of um, controversies after a weekend. It kind of let the game just, just, just be and we could celebrate goals and the goal scorers could without having to worry too much about whether a goal had gone in or not. Anyway, that's enough ramblings from me. What I'm trying to say was that we learned that there were goals brilliant goal scorers and that ahead we're hoping to see a little bit more Lindsay and not a single draw in that opening weekend that was a really unusual sight looking down the results list not one of course there wasn't one which was goalless either uh, for that reason Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna upgrade what you said about VAR actually Hayley is one of my observations being that the changes to officiating because this this isn't just VAR Mm. it is the refereeing entirely there were more challenges that were let go. I felt like the referees played advantage more and there were just less stoppages in the game and I loved mm. it. I thought it was so much better. All of these changes have been for the better and what we did see at Euro 2020 was VAR that was used brilliantly and I felt like the officiating was was a different standard and it feels like the Premier League have, have taken note of that and how well it went and they've picked yeah. it up and they've run with it and if this continues the way it is, I, I mean, you say the defending is, is an issue and it could be this season but wow, defenders can get stuck in again and that's great. Interesting you pick up on that as well, Lindsay, because one of my topics for this one is that new look VAR works. So we all agree, isn't this great? <laughs> yes. But I was reading last season, um, a, a survey said 95% of fans, this was a Football Supporter Association survey, found that VAR made the experience of watching the game less enjoyable last year. And I know that the, the match officials board have always argued it would take about five years to get things right. But I agree, Lindsay, I think following on from the Euros, it really, I think the Premier League referees have 
have taken notice, then there's no longer that interference for, I think they're calling them trivial issues. By that, probably they mean the small niggly fouls and the offside calls have obviously been changed. And I think what was most pleasing to see was that the officials just seemed to take a more laid back approach. There was only minimal VAR involvement in those first 10 games. But Steve Bruce might disagree. I think West Ham were awarded a penalty against Newcastle that he felt was harsh. But overall, it seemed to work. And we do Mm. want to debate football and not technology. So let's hope that's the start of things to come. You know what else that meant as well? There was less rolling around and diving because what Uh happened was the first few times people tried it on because advantage was being played and and play was not being stopped or halted they had to get up quick and get back in position and I think this could help with the simulation problem that we've had yeah I I I totally agree with that totally agree would you agree that another thing that we've learned is that Arsenal are still a bit rubbish um they were (laughs) it it could be an interesting season for Mm -hmm. Arteta yeah Mm -hmm. I think that's it could I'll lay off them in this first podcast because um I think they've they've yeah they've been laid into in the media else elsewhere quite a bit and you know what it's the it's the first game of the season we can't look too much into it we've still to see some transfers and see if things will change as well which we'll talk about in just a moment um but they were up against a Brentford side I was really shocked at this fact their entire starting 11 Brentford had a total of just 19 minutes of Premier League experience before the game. Wow. How about that? But uh, yeah, I think what we also learned was that the newly promoted sides are going to prove um, to be quite exciting. Yet again, we looked at what happened with Leeds. I'm not talking about this weekend's game where they were defeated heavily, but last season when they when they showed us what they could do. And I'm hoping that Brentford can pull out a few surprises as well. But one of the things that I, I learned was that actually Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes can play together. They've long been viewed as kind of incapable of being able to play together because obviously they, they operate in a similar creative role. But uh, Pogba became the seventh player in, in Premier League history to assist four goals in a single game in the competition. And Fernandos was Fernandos? Fernandez was absolutely <laughs> on fire. It's just his new name. Uh, he was on fire, wasn't he? And I, I think what we've learned is, for me, being overly optimistic that Manchester United, for the first time, looking ahead, this season, I can see realistically potentially winning it. There you go. Bold statement from me. We could have breaking news at any moment and this story could date. But what I am mm-hmm. going to say is the other thing that we learned is that Manchester City need a striker. They oh. need a replacement for Aguero. And the the other thing that you look at from last season compared to that opening game against Spurs for City mm-hmm. is that players like Gundogan, who was scoring for fun last season, he didn't really have many chances, didn't get overly involved in that game. Mm. Sterling, who was who was another um, provider of goals, didn't didn't look like he was quite at it. I felt like a lot of their key players were a little bit below par. And then when Kevin De Bruyne came on, who's not 100% fit, he was the only one that I thought has, has picked up where, where Man City left off as champions. So there's no doubt they retain the ball well. They manage to, to make good runs, get good movement. They can get the ball in the box, but they haven't mm. got anyone in there mm. to finish it off. So whether it be Harry Kane or the newly announced Lewandowski's on the scene, isn't he? Saying that he wants to leave Bayern Munich, although I think Real Madrid's a more likely um, destination for him. Uh, they need someone. And I thought that, you know, not taking anything away from the Spurs performance, mm. which was brilliant. But I, I do think it threw up more questions about Manchester City for retaining the title and what they need. 
and I'll touch a little bit on that. Yeah, I'll touch a little bit on the city stuff in a minute, but I love a new start, but I also love a bit of consistency. So a couple of things please me. New season, same old Jamie Vardy. He's now racked up seven goals on the opening weekend of Premier League campaigns. That's just one behind the record of eight shared by Lampard, Rooney and Shearer. And also just a note that this is James Milner's 20th season in the Premier League. Wow. (laughs) Only Ryan Giggs at 22 seasons and Gareth Barry at 21 have played more. And the one thing I wanted to touch on about City that was new is that they've lost three consecutive games in all competitions without scoring a single goal for the first time since March 2007. So as you say, Lindsay, surely some sort of crisis over at Manchester City. Spoken (laughs) like a true Man United fan there, Mandy. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Uh, My final one. I have to say, never write West Ham off, and certainly not under David Moyes. I, he's still got it. West Ham have still got it. Um, twice to come from behind a, a, at St James's Park against Newcastle, I think, was some feat. Because mm. remember, the fans were back, and that's got to be one of the most intimidating, daunting stadiums to go to as an away team. And to have gone one nil down, two one behind, and then to go on and win four two. It just screams character within this West Ham team. Mm. They don't know when they're beat. And that, I think, every other team in the league should take notice of. Goodness me. Well, we definitely learnt a lot. We've definitely got lots to see. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more surprises along the way as well. But let's talk perfect timing. Goodness me. Sergio Aguero won't be making his Barcelona debut until October. Goodness me. He picked up a calf injury. City looked like they've got rid of him at just the right time for you. So he's heading into a very long spell on the sidelines and they just must be thinking, thanking their lucky stars that that happened at that time. Maybe if he'd have been at City, he wouldn't have got injured. But anyway, he did. He chose to leave. He's gone to Barcelona and this is what's happened. When are some other times that players have departed or joined clubs or clubs have let them go just in the nick of time? Well, this is very much a story of a a player departing at the right time rather than a club letting them go. And then the story of what's happened since then and how things could have been very different. But Luka Modric might have broken Scottish hearts when we met Croatia at the Euros, but I'm going to focus on his move to from Tottenham to Real Madrid and if you remember he had those four memorable seasons at White Hart Lane but it all became a bit messy didn't it he handed in that transfer request Chelsea had several bids for him rejected and it wasn't to be stayed at Spurs and moved the following season to Madrid in 2012 struggled initially to settle in I would say under Jose Mourinho and actually in Marca the Spanish newspaper he was voted the worst signing of the summer well by the end of that campaign he was one of their outstanding performers and clearly hasn't looked back Ancelotti came in and he decided pretty much to build his team around Modric. And since then, you could argue he's been the, the catalyst, really, for, for Madrid's success. Mm. He beat Messi and Ronaldo to the Ballon d'Or in 2018. He's won 16 trophies in his time at Madrid. That includes four Champions League titles. And while he's not maybe prolific in terms of goals or assists, he, he's just one of those players that seems to make the team tick. Um, he turns mm. 36 next month and he's still playing at incredible level for both his club and his country. Uh, you two will know that's ridiculous. M- most players curtail yeah. their international careers, don't they, to try to play longer for their clubs. And but you're right. Re- he is he's a heartbeat of a team. And, yeah. and it's so crucial. I, he's going to be a huge miss for both when he retires. Completely. Well, you imagine, Lindsay, they paid 35 million euros for him back in 2012. 
is still an undisputed starter for Ancelotti. I think I think he's now four appearances behind Alfredo De Stefano. So there you go. That's my perfect example of a player leaving at the right time. And can you imagine, would he have had that much success if he'd stayed and gone to Chelsea? I don't think so, do you? It's amazing, isn't it, when you've got this big name player who's been linked with a huge club and you think they're going to come over to the Premier League and make waves and they pretty much crash and burn, which is what happened with the big name, big money signing, which ended up costing an absolute fortune for Manchester City. But Porto must have been thinking, phew, we've got rid of Eliki Mangala. So when Mangala left to join Manchester City. So he'd, he'd played for Porto. He'd been out on loan at Valencia, uh, was later then loaned, of course, to Everton and then went crawling back to Valencia. They luckily signed him up permanently, but he had an absolute disaster at Manchester City. I think Porto, um, uh, will be just rubbing their hands together because there was a very clever deal here as well. Not for Manchester City. Had he have um, performed and actually um, lived up to the expectations after him signing for, at the time, looked to be in the region of 30-odd million pounds. And I'll tell you how it ended up being a hell of a lot more than that a little bit later. But yeah, it was a mind-boggling amount of money. He didn't live up to his price tag. Um, on his second league game, okay, he scored an own goal. I don't know if you remember it. He conceded a penalty. He threw away a 2-0 lead against Hull. A couple of months later, he got his first sending off and he was absolutely hopeless after that. He just never really recovered. Um, he was one of the most expensive defenders ever signed. He was then swiftly replaced by Nicholas Otamendi and then left on a free in 2019 after those couple of loan spells. Now, this is just a bit of a crazy situation because listen to this. He signed for Manchester City, right, for what's believed to be £32 million. It was a five-year contract. It was reported that 18 months into his contract, when he was absolutely hopeless and they were desperate to get rid of him, City then actually had to pay out even more money, had it having already paid out £32 million, which ended up being in the region of £42 million due to spiralling costs because of a split ownership at Porto. Um, City then had to pay £18 million to two companies which owned over 40% of his economic rights. Uh, and that second figure would then make him the most expensive defender in British transfer history at the time. Uh, goodness me. So he, he reunited with his former Porto teammate, Fernando. You'd thought that, you know, it was early in the summer. Things were looking good. He was with his former Porto teammate. Uh, but yeah, it was just disaster after disaster. He received a lot of media criticism. And, and Manuel Pellegrini said, you know, we continue to trust him because he's a very good player who's had very bad luck. I think the absolute worst luck for Manchester City. Uh, but yeah, well done on Porto for getting rid of a player and being very clever about sneakily eking more money out of him and his, his, his crazy um, economic Always rights read the deals. small print. What the heck? I know. <laughs> I interviewed him once, Hayley, and he was one of those players, oh. you know, when you're in the same room as him and you can't hear him. He was that softly oh. spoken. Oh. You're like, I don't know what to ask him next because I don't know oh. what he's just said. <laughs> very sheepish, very sheepish. Yes. He might have been good to interview then during lockdown, but not so much now the fans are back. You wouldn't hear him. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> 
I think at the time, Liverpool fans didn't think it was good timing. But with the benefit of hindsight, which is such a lovely thing, isn't it? Um, I think they will look back and think Philippe Coutinho going to Barcelona was perfect. It worked out mm. brilliantly for them. And the main reason for that being is that they used the money from selling Coutinho to buy Virgil van Dijk and Alisson. And in turn, that made them a completely different outfit. It shored up the defence and they went on to win that first top flight title in 30 years. Um, would it have happened without Virgil van Dijk, without Alisson? I don't think so. Um, did they manage to replace what Coutinho brought to the team? Absolutely they did with their front three and now they've got Jota in the mix as well. I don't think they're at all reminiscing on, on Coutinho um, not being at the club. I don't think they did for long at all. So that would say to me yes it was a move at the right time and and also for the player you know he left Liverpool on a high uh, to go to Barcelona mm. a club that he'd wanted to play for I think it worked for both parties I'm sure this is a topic that's going to keep rumbling as well because I, I, I can imagine the players that are going to be leaving the Premier League or leaving other clubs that come to the Premier League or head off to I don't know Serie A the Bundesliga wherever and don't quite cut it not that we all want that to happen and there have been cases as well oh I did want to mention Owen Hargreaves, Manchester United. Goodness me, the Bundesliga got rid of him at just the right time, didn't they, Mandy? He had an yeah, absolute torrid time yeah, at United. Absolutely. He had a little bit of a, a good spell. Andy Carroll can be named there as well when he left Newcastle. So there, there are plenty and I'm sure there'll be plenty more. Um, okay, because we're nearing the end of the summer transfer market, um, there are plenty of clubs that have spent big. They've already Kaching bought their key players, signed up their big names. They knew who they wanted during the Euros. They went out, they did the business and they've been clever. But obviously, there's still a little while left. So which teams could be looking at just adding one more important player to their squad? I'm not talking about last minute scramblings, but maybe a big name player that's coming to a team that hasn't quite happened yet that you think absolutely needs to happen. First of all, pandemic, what pandemic? I mean, we've had Jack Grealish going to Manchester City for 100 million and there's talks of Harry Kane having 150 million on his head. Uh, there've been lots of other clubs doing business. So we were told, weren't we? You know, everyone's been struggling. It's been tough times. Mm. Uh, does anyone want to tell the Premier League and a, a lot of the teams at the top? Because they are spending and this transfer window still being open. I'm convinced there is more business to be done. And one of the moves that I think is set to still happen is Jesse Lingard to West Ham. Now, as it stands, we know that he was brilliant for them last season, mm. but he was only on loan from Manchester United. Manchester United recalled him. He's in the Manchester United squad at the moment, but didn't get anywhere near that first team for the opening weekend. I would be very surprised if he does this weekend. And I think that will in inevitably force a move through West Ham are a better outfit with Lingard in the team and it would be brilliant business for them. Well, I'm going to go for a team that needs a player rather than a specific player that the team needs, but Burnley, I might have mentioned... On <laughs> they just need anyone. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They definitely do. I've got a bit of a soft spot for them. Great club to work with. Players are fabulous to, to interview and always give you interesting answers, but they're a bit of a worry for me this season. If you remember last term, they finished 11 points clear of the bottom three, but that was in 17th, and their defeat against Brighton uh, means that they've now equaled a club record of 11 league matches without a home win. They failed to get a shot on target in the second half in their opening game, 
And while this is their sixth successive Premier League season, which is an incredible achievement given the resources that Sean Dyche has had, they say they're still actively looking for players, having brought in just a couple over the summer. But Dyche believes that they need wide attacking players and that recruitment side has, has been a bit of a challenge. And he's used to that. But when the new owners came in last season, I spoke to a lot of Burnley fans. They didn't think they were going to get millions to spend, but they thought they might splash a little bit more cash. And we've yet to see that. So while they've done incredibly well to stay up and they've frustrated top teams on many occasions, haven't they? But you just wonder how long that can last. So I've got a little bit of a worry for them. And one player that I do want to mention, clearly out of Burnley's budget, but would be a great signing for someone, is Bernardo Silva. Now, he was an unused substitute against Tottenham for City at the weekend. And the reports are that City are keen to sell him to fund their own transfers. We know who that could be. Uh, but they're heavy on attacking midfielders, City, aren't they? So he's played a key role. Great guy. He's only 27, a brilliant little playmaker. And I was thinking, what clubs could do with them? Well, heading back to what you were speaking about earlier on in the show, Lindsay, Arsenal, Bernardo Silva to Arsenal, perhaps? Mm. Yeah, that could be a good move. I, I would absolutely welcome him to Wolves. <laughs> and you you might need him because this is where I come in. Um, I don't want to break your heart, Lindsay, but I think Triore might be making a move to Tottenham. I think Tottenham are going to wait, make one big addition because if Harry Kane does go and he signs for Manchester City, they're going to need to bring someone in. And he was outstanding at Wolves when they were they were beaten 1-0 at Leicester at, at the weekend. Um, he's He started off where he left off. Yes, he's got a couple of years left on his contract and he's yet to agree a new deal. Um, and he has attracted a lot of attention last summer and January as well, but didn't make the move. Um, Nuno Espirito Santo made sure he kept hold of him. But we know that your new man in charge, Bruno Larger, and I'm sure you'll let me know how to pronounce his name properly. Um, it, once just ascend- imagine it's a J. It's large. That's all you Large. Do. He's just very larger than life. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're looking for a centre-back, a forward, a central midfielder. With Triori valued at around about £45 million, pounds, they, could, they could probably sign three individuals for just getting rid of Traore and and letting Tottenham have him. Do you think that's realistic? Mm. Do you think Wolves will keep hold of him? Are Tottenham the only club you think he could maybe go and sign for? Because I think Tottenham are going to need someone like that. There's obviously the connection to Nuno. I will be watching because I'm at Molyneux this weekend. I'll be see, overlooking to see if there's conversations between Nuno and Traore um, on the sidelines or in the warm-up. Um, mm. I could see it happening, to be honest, Hayley. Yes, Um he needs the right manager. You know, we know that Traore is quick. We know that he's strong. We know that he is capable of of scoring those important goals and delivering the crosses. But he does need guidance. He does need someone mm-hmm. saying what to do. And he needs the right manager. So um, he could be a good fit going back with Nuno. Um, and if that was to happen, all I would say is then please, please, please let us hang on to Neves because I don't think we can lose both in <gasps> one window. No, I think you'll be in serious trouble. Okay, let's finish up by talking about some of the other stories that you might have missed. Any other business? We still don't have a theme tune for this, do we? Or do we? Any other business? Any other business? I think we're going to have to come up, Mandy, and when Kate Borsay returns from France, um, all of us need to get together and come up with a, a beautiful little chorus of singing any other business. What do you think, Linz? 
I'm I'm not a great singer. Um, I don't Neither want to am offer. I. No, I don't want to offer up jingle making um, qualities because otherwise okay. I I might be asked to do it again in the future. It's not something I'd like to enter. Okay, and as you as you probably just yeah, as you probably just heard from me there as well, you definitely don't want me doing it. Definitely, no, maybe we just get not. someone to do us a jingle, just something, any other. Business. Anybody's listening and can provide us with a jingle for the any other business section, which is what you all wait for at the end of this podcast. Is you know it? what I want? I've got a vision. I've got a oh. town crier okay. at a market going round up, round up. Any other business? Oh. Get your any get your any other business. Ding ding with a big bit of that. Okay, there we yeah. go. Yeah, that's what we well, need. I'm going to start with um, a story from a city that Mandy's just been to, Edinburgh. Um, and I don't know if you know that Hearts could become Britain's biggest fan-owned club. So fans are going to look to complete a takeover at the end of the month. Um, yeah, it'll be a, a huge moment in their, in their history. Um, Anne Budge is transferring her majority shareholding to the foundation of Hearts. So the shares handover, it's already been dubbed Heart and Soul Day. There you go. Uh, in what the Daily Record is saying, going to be a monumental occasion for the 8,000 members of the Jambo supporters group who pledge money each month. Now, Anne has put 2.5 million of her own money to get her beloved club out of administration and then look to hand it over to the fans. Um, it was delayed because of the pandemic. It's all been a little bit of a mess. Um, but yeah, I just think this is a, a really lovely story about how the fans can come and hopefully save a really important club. They are my Scottish team as well, Hayley, so I've been keeping an eye on that. And they've had a great start to the season, lost just one of five games so far. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting times in my home city. And it's uh, and I'm looking at that, like five games in. We forget how long the new Scottish season's been. They barely got a summer holiday, did they? Um, yeah. which, was a, which was a bit of a shame. Um, Lindsay, have you found anything? It's more of an observation. So since joining Sky Sports and doing some some soccer specials, I've realised, Hayley, that I need to work on something. And it might not be what you're both thinking. <laughs> you're reporting, Lindsay. No, it's not that. Um, it is... Uh, my my head for heights. I didn't realise because when I've done reporting in the past, I've been mm. in the press box. But when you do Soccer Saturday or Soccer Special, um, often you'll see that in vision, everyone's on the on the gantries. And so the last couple of times I've realised there, there are the steepest ladders. I've got kit mm. to carry. I'm having to climb vertical ladders through really tight gaps to get up to a gantry. And it's, it's something I hadn't thought through. I don't know whether people listening when they when they see people doing these updates um okay. on the program realize the obstacle courses we've had to endure to mm. get there i wanted to shed a bit of light on it i'm not great with heights if i look a bit you know flustered one time it might be because i've had to run down i've forgotten my charger or something and oh. get back up and it it is daunting let me tell you i actually put a little clip on my social media from burton albion um a man opened a cupboard uh, because I said, oh, I've, I've not done this before on the gantry. Do you mind showing me where? And he opened a cupboard. He went, yeah, it's in there. And I was like, in the cupboard? And he went, no, up that ladder. And I realised there's a vertical ladder, the oh. same colour as the walls, going right to the sky. Um, yeah, I I did panic a little, but it's just an observation that some of our, our good listeners might not be aware of. But yeah, there are some scary, scary ladders. 
I've got Have vertigo, you? so I would not be good at that. Wow. I, I just didn't realise I was going to need this as part of my, my job description. I, I need to get new circus skills, I think. Oh, I, I remember going to the top of the roof on the old main road and I was I was working for it was TWI and I was doing a bit of floor managing. And that was the one ground where you just went up, like you say, a complete upright. Like there was no kind of, you know, gradual. It was just straight up. It was like a like a fire ladder just heading up mm. into the unknown. I was like, where does this end? Halfway up in the sky. It was awful, awful, awful. Do you know which um, one having... I've been told is the worst? What? Portsmouth. Oh, really? Pa- apparently Portsmouth is oh. a longer ladder than the one at Burton Albion, much, much longer oh. and much higher. So, You've got good yeah. views up there. That's when you're having to carry things, your handbag, yeah. your notes. I was having to carry up cups of teas and things to take to, to the commentators. And I was like, God, <laughs> having a cup of tea in each hand and having to clap. <laughs> oh, I couldn't oh, it have done just... that. I wouldn't be able oh, to carry wow. a cup of tea up there, I tell you. No. Serious skills, Healy. Mm, I know, yeah. right? You're clearly like mega waitress. <laughs> yeah. Anything that you've found, Mandy? Yeah, I'm taking you to Italy and Spain for two good news, any other business stories this week. So first to Italy and to Roma. Now, I'm not sure if you remember back in 2019, the club launched a, a missing children initiative to use their power of social media. For yes, oh, yes. Every time, for, for those who haven't seen it, every time they sign a player, the announcement video on their Twitter account is accompanied by pictures of missing children um, to, to highlight the search for them. So this week, Tammy Abram mm. signs and they had these poignant photos of missing kids beside it. And they work in collaboration with a few charities in the UK, Italy and the USA and as of last year, seven young people from Italy, England, Belgium and Kenya have all been found safely after appearing in these transfer windows so that's what we want to see football clubs doing isn't it, using their social media for good and uh, the Spanish story I found, I don't know if you've seen the the story about Iker Casillas but um, I'm very now aware, being based in Portugal that I no longer have to worry about the Manchester rain and I now have an app on my phone with about wildfires Um, clearly we've seen a lot this summer in, in France most recently in, in Greece as well and, and mm. they happen all the time in Portugal we saw some smoke from one of the fires yesterday but in Spain it's That's been really scary, bad yeah and Iker Casillas has been helping firefighters in his hometown of Navala Cruz in Spain. 15,000 hectares of land have already been destroyed and he's been helping the, the firefighters and, and building a fire bait to try and stop it spreading further. What a good lad, eh? What a good guy, yeah. Yeah, so we're just hoping that throughout this show we're going to highlight all the good in football and I guess any other business is a great way of doing that yes we have um, crazy stories and we want you to get involved as well um, at home or wherever you're listening if it's safe to do so scroll through your social media if there's something that you just find that you think we need to highlight or a story that we need to tell or it might be your local team or a, a local story in a newspaper that we just don't get to read please feel free to send it on to us. Um, thank you so much for listening. Let us know how you're finding us and what you're liking and what you might want to hear from us for the rest of the season. It's at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and also on Instagram. Right, Lindsay, what are you up to this weekend? I, I've i got four matches in four days, um, which is going to be a bit crazy, isn't it? So I'm at Derby for Soccer Saturday um, on Saturday. <laughs> it's a good name for a show, isn't it? Um, on Sunday, I'm at Wolves um, for Wolves Spurs. Uh, Monday, I'm at West Ham for West Ham Leicester. And then Tuesday, I'm at Birmingham for Soccer Special. Okay. Oh, goodness me. And then you can 
hopefully have a couple of days break yeah. and relax yeah. and sleep for about three days. And uh, yeah, get yourself some good nutrition because you're probably just going to eat pies and meal deals and sandwiches up and down the motorway, oh, aren't you? In those, I'm really four trying days. not to. That's but the there, there will be there will be one sausage and egg McMuffin, I'm sure, in there somewhere. Oh, good. Yeah, it, it, it's, to keep it's your energy up for those ladders, though, haven't you? <laughs> I yeah. know exactly. It's the donuts. It's when I see the donuts in a service station, I'm like, oh, <laughs> just give me one of those. Uh, Mandy, obviously, you're you're based now in Portugal, so this will be your first, I guess, full weekend yes. of of living there whilst watching from afar the football but how, how do things work for you from now? So I'm gonna yes still be watching the football be keeping a close eye on Hearts as I mentioned earlier and obviously Man United as well I'm mm. also starting to watch the Portuguese Liga with interest as well uh, Porto mm. Manense are my local team now uh, the, the Algarve team uh, based in Portimao they'll be battling to avoid relegation this season so I've gone from Manchester United being my local club to a little Oh, struggling team, shall I say, even this early in the season. But uh, restrictions are still over here, so we can't uh, get to games just now. It's very, very restricted numbers-wise. But I am hoping to build on that through the course of the season. And maybe, if I'm lucky enough to be invited back on, I can fill you in on the delights of going to a match in Portugal. How about that? Oh, we look Brilliant. forward to that. Yeah, that would be great. Well, thank you so very much for listening. Um, until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at offsiderulepod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. The Athletic. Sports Social Podcast Network.